Hello, everybody. This is another episode of the China Manufacturing Decoded podcast. This is episode 182, and I'm your host today. I'm Renaud Andrew and Andrew Armenovin is also with me. Hey, Andrew, how's everything going? Doing well, Renaud. Thank you very much. Good to be here. All right. Yeah, so today we're talking about using reliability data and how to use this data to save money and to make better products. So the first question really is, what kind of reliability data can we get our hands on? You know, for example, if I'm I'm going to launch a new product, is the first time I work in that product category, I don't know anything about, you know, uh, reliability data, but is it supposed to work one year, two years, three years? Uh, on average, what kind of issues are most typical on that kind of product? Is it hopeless or are there ways for me to, to know a little bit more and to, to have some expectations? No, I think, I think, uh, you know, this, what you have discussed right now, it's an important issue, extremely important issue. And I think that, um, most, companies that say if they're equipped with uh the right kind of a team you know design team reliability teams and they they probably exercise exactly what we're going to discuss you know utilizing the historical data before designing a new product and historical yeah. data could be anything right between you and i i mean we've seen um plenty of return data from from customers mm-hmm. uh from the field you know, these are products that have failed for some reason or another, and they have been returned back to company. And then, of course, there are a lot of historical data related to uh, design, like uh, specifications, components that failed during the design and development, testing, reliability right. testing, uh, that, right. you know, maybe yes. they tried to qualify a product, but actually failed and and they have mm-hmm. reasons why it failed and how they fixed it. How about issue tracking database for example during the design yes. development i mean i you and i have seen this happen all the time you know some companies do really good job in the issue tracking and some companies don't but all of these really come back to becoming a historic historical data that can be extremely useful for uh, or mm-hmm. the development right 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 yeah so the fact that it's the first time you work on a certain product category doesn't mean you have no data if you've been designing and developing the product you've been making prototypes you've been testing the prototypes you have some data and if you have been following a a proper um, reliability program uh, and you've you've subjected the prototypes to the right types of, of reliability tests then you definitely have some data from uh, from the test results right yeah, absolutely. I think if you have, uh, for example, some kind of milestone system like EVT, DVT, and PVT, you probably mm-hmm. have done at least three to four time four types of reliability tests. Maybe you've done engineering evaluation on some components. Uh, maybe you've done initial uh, reliability t- testing on your um, uh, first proto, second proto, mm-hmm. and third. And and these data are extremely valuable for the next project because if the project the two projects are are sharing anything in common like 
some parts or functionality or features, that means that pretty much can be tested almost similarly. And that means that the, the issues found in the previous product could be extremely valuable in terms of cutting costs, in terms of making the product more reliable, in terms of, uh, you know, cutting engineering time. You know, why, why do they have to go back and make the same mistakes mm. where they could just look at the previous product and and uh, not do those, right? And make yeah, it better. Oh, totally. Yeah, totally, exactly. Totally. There's a lot to learn, right? Now, yeah. if the company has been selling a certain type of product to a certain type of user for, let's say, for years, they should have some kind of database of product issues, right? Often they call it product defect, but right. I don't like so it's more like, yeah, product issues or customer complaints or whatever they, they call right. it, right? And, and very often, I mean, in big companies, there's usually people who do that full time. Is they receive, right. they, they get the samples back, they send them maybe to the factory or to a after sale or repair center or whatever. And then they look at it and they, they try to classify. And a big deal is actually to classify it the right way. Um, so all of that leads to having a pretty good database of um, of past issues. Oh yeah, you're talking about like for example, uh, I and and I think that also relates to kind of like returns, you know, right? When when you have massive returns coming from the field, you have to triage those, and when you triage them, you're gonna have all kinds of lessons learned. You're gonna find out that uh, there were mistakes done in either, uh, for example. Uh, software uh, updates and or you know there, there there was for example part part of the uh, shipment actually had had used a certain vendor right that didn't do well in the field but then the rest of the uh, shipment was was using certain parts from a different vendor that actually did well so mm. you know from all this is all data right and 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 it means that, for example, mm. here it's now we're trying to develop a new product. Don't use the 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 the, the vendor that didn't do well uh, in the field, right? That's like one piece of information that is critical for having better yields, for example, in the production or better yield, better customer satisfaction in the field. Mm-hmm. So if we're just talking about that one single part, imagine how many other parts and imagine how many other lessons learned out there in 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 the databases within the company within the development team that all we need to do is be able to utilize all that information and 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 uh, make sure that maybe just within one meeting with the team and understanding okay here's the product we're building what is it that we need to make sure from lessons learned point of view from past history of uh, products mm-hmm. that we designed or similar product that we're trying to design so that we can actually utilize the data and make it a better better reliability testing, better design, better quality, better everything. So uh, mm-hmm. that way we can actually save a lot of uh, money. So utilizing reliability data in that fashion, very, very, yeah. very important. And, and usually what kind of data would be saved that way, right? So uh, if I receive, I don't know, I sell, you know, a certain gadget, and then I, I I receive some of the samples back with maybe a description from the from the user, or maybe sometimes you know even better like a video of how it doesn't work well. 
Well, I'm I'm going to say what part of the product doesn't work well or doesn't work at all. And is it like a hard failure? Or maybe it's pretty obvious this one component right here, like it broke or something, you know, versus a soft failure where, oh, if you just reset it or you restart it, it just it, it keeps working again, right? And you try to assign a cause. Uh, and and <laughs> and often I think quality people like to say, whatever, it's a design issue. And then maybe, you know, a manufacturing fault also will say, oh, this is a, you picked the wrong component versus maybe <laughs> a design people will say, oh, this is a manufacturing problem, right? <laughs> so there's, um, there's a lot of important information in there. A, a lot of finger pointing. I agree with you. Yeah. I, I think that... Um... Issue tracking is wonderful, but most often what happens is that engineers and designers or development team are so busy that half the time they kind of like put in like one or two word, you know, resolution. They say, yeah, okay, it was this component fixed. That's it, fixed. <laughs> and and that could be a, an issue itself because how it was fixed is, is the critical information than the data that uh, the next person who is looking for that issue needs to learn. And next engineer developing and, and working on the design of the new product, uh, new version of that product, let's say, he needs to know, well, you fixed it, but how did you really fix it? What did you do? And so a little bit of detail is is very important. I, I agree with you. Yes, all the way to even in a manufacturing. Let's say the, the product did not pass a test and then it went to be repaired. Okay, if we have this information that this product was repaired and now it's failing reliability-wise you know, in the field, <laughs> maybe it's related, right? What exactly, what kind of repair? You know, what? Why did it fail the test and why did it go into repair and what was done on it when it was repaired, right? So um, more information is always better, basically, I think. That's the easy conclusion here. Totally, totally agree. And and I think that, uh, of course, manufacturing is a little bit different than the development. But a lot of the issues that happens in the manufacturing, a lot of it comes from the development. So if development was done right, and the reliability testing actually revealed all the issues that the design had, all the issues that the components had or the supplier had, uh, if all of those were uh kind of cleared up uh, during the development by doing the proper reliability testing, by real creating proper reliability test cases that actually mimicked the worst case scenarios in the field by the user, by end user, uh, and then creating a test plan that pretty much caught all the scenarios that all the worst case scenarios that could happen uh, in the field. In, and if you have that sort of uh, customized reliability test plan, then usually what would happen in the manufacturing is that you wouldn't see any more design issues or component issues. You'd have nothing but, ideally, let's say, uh, nothing but manufacturing-related issues. Uh, mm-hmm. I know it's kind of hard to to discuss that because it, mm-hmm. this is really hard hard to manage it in that fashion. But ideally, every company should be shooting for that kind of a aim. Yes, it takes uh, takes quite a bit of work, right? Make sure that 
the components are going to be made, you know, as long as it's within the tolerance and so on, everything will be fine. Well, the process window is not too narrow, so it is reproducible in manufacturing, no problem. And that the stresses that the product are, are going to, to suffer in the field are, are not going to, to, to break it, you know, as long as it's as expected. There's a, there's a lot of things that go into this. Uh, but, uh, okay, so we have sort of an overview of the types of data, reliability data, right, that uh, that a company can get uh, for a certain product. Now, let's see how, how to use this data, basically, right? Why is it good to have all this data? Uh, let, let's look first. How can the, the data about reliability be used to make better products? So basically, you see, you know, the product has failed for such and such reasons most often, et cetera, et cetera. In these settings, you have some feedback also about the environment in which the uh, the, the products were used and how they were used and so on, right? So how would you manage the feedback into the product design maybe for version two of the product? Yeah, great question. Well, I think, you know, as we discussed, if you have a, a really good reliability test plan and really good reliability engineering team, uh, they can easily find and track all these failure modes, and then they can create create what what's called a, a Pareto analysis of these failures. Now, again, it depends on how many failures we're talking about. You know, for example, returns coming from from the field related to reliability, you could have a massive uh, Pareto of failures. We, we could you could have mm. like hundreds of uh, maybe even thousands of failure modes. And then Pareto analysis is an incredible tool because it would tally and put all this kind of like a distribution type of thing, but it will put it all in a manner that would show where the 20% of failures cause an 80% of the impact. And and then all you have to do is fix those 20%. And then you'd have... Uh, Pretty much most of the issues gone, and then you'll you'll end mm. up ma- you know minor issues. But then the, going back to what you uh, mentioned, uh, on that twenty percent, you need to know and break it down, kinda. What are those major issues within the twenty percent? Are the major issues are component related, design related, manufacturing related, or supplier related? And and if you can kinda uh, track those down and, and the, maybe do a Pareto within a Pareto and find out, well, okay, you know, we have so many components and particularly one or two components are causing most of the failures. And then all you got to do is change those, replace those with a similar, um, you know, uh, what they call drop in replacement parts, but with a better supplier, with with a better part, or may, maybe even upgrade the part with a better than part uh, so that um, it can actually handle better voltage, better current, and maybe even handle better drop test, for example, or better soldering. You know, whatever that is the main issue, uh, you can come back with a part that is better. And yes, these are all from reliability findings, for mm-hmm. example. When you say twenty percent of the problems, actually, sometimes you're just talking about three or four problems, right? Right. Which exactly. can already represent eighty percent of the, the issues in the field and more, right? Yes, exactly. As you said, 
And, and, and that's, that's the thing, you, you know, those three or four issues can be resolved. And then 80, 80% of the problems are resolved automatically by just fixing those three issues. And those three, mm-hmm. three issues may not be that difficult. It could be just changing one part. It could be updating the software. It could be, you know, changing the supplier with a more reliable part. So yeah, you're exactly right. It could be very minor, but, but how you go about analyzing all this data and nailing the issue is the problem is a lot of times a lot of companies don't have the right staff and or they have so much data for example i was with a company that i can't mention the name that they had massive amount of data we're talking thousands and thousands maybe even million products and and they couldn't actually nail it down because the amount of data they had to crunch down it was just massive and and uh, some of the engineers would just give up on that and that's not the right way well they would do a random pick and then just analyze these ones right otherwise you get you let yourself be really uh overwhelmed definitely so you you can also use this feedback from users to wonder okay how did we test these products the version one let's say that had these these uh, these common issues. Okay, how did we test it? It passed the test. Okay, maybe the test plan needs to be revised because now we learn that you know users might uh, abuse or misuse the products or you know use them in different environments uh, that we did not think of. And then you you um, you make sure you design to these new specs, but you also test to these new specs, right? Oh, what a great uh, discussion on the user experience and field experience. Yeah, absolutely. Nowadays with uh, most people having access to immediately giving feedback on the product, it's amazing how much, how much user data you can get. And like you said, user experience is most often so much different than how the product was intended to be used. Here it is, uh, the user has actually invented new way of using, you know, and or abusing, like you said. And um, all of this can be fed back into the reliability data and uh, can be fed back into the, uh, let's say, lessons learned database. And so that the designers that are working on the new product must actually go back and look at the reliability data, look at the user experience data, look at the lessons learned database and based on what the you know users uh, are thinking and how to, how they are going to be using the product then then the, the new product needs to be actually addressing all of these new features, new way of using so that and so the reliability engineers actually need to create appropriate test cases that actually uh, mitigates and keeps in mind testing the user experience issues that uh, were, were, let's say, found in the previous project. We don't want to see that in the new project. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, <laughs> some companies have sort of overshot the needs of their users in some cases, right? So we were talking before before recording this episode 
as an example, the Mercedes cars in the 1980s, they could go on and on and on. The engines, you know, they might go up to 500,000 kilometers or, yeah, or more. Right, right. right. Very reliable. Uh, whereas, yeah, whereas these days, only the big truck, like the the, the trucks like the Ram and uh, trucks, right. or the, the Ford F-150 F- or yeah. these, these, uh, these trucks get to these types of mileage, but... Uh, normal cars, including luxury cars, including today's Mercedes cars, don't don't go don't don't come anywhere close, right? So they were probably overshooting the needs. Uh, and another example was the Nokia phones that were nearly indestructible. Some of the models could be right. thrown out a building, <laughs> fall yeah. a few floors, and you know, on on, yeah. on the floor, and uh, and still be totally okay, right? That's just. Um, <laughs> Amazing, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I actually worked for Nokia, and and I know mm. exactly what you're talking about. Some of our mobile phones those days um, were extremely reliable. And yes, you're right. You could. Uh, we actually did a few. Uh, we dropped them from two or second floor, third floor of a building, right on the concrete. And yeah, they they just bounced back. And yeah, they the battery came out, but uh, put them back together, and and they worked fine. And and I know what you mean. It 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 is um, over engineering, over reliability, and and you know in some cases it's important, right? You know if your if your mobile phone is your life, and uh, you mm. really depend on your mobile phone, maybe that's a good thing. You know, uh, having um, oh, yeah. uh, you know more reliability built into that product. On the other hand, if you have a product that is looking clunky, too much reliability, you really don't need to spend so much money on reliability. That would be also not good. You know, uh, it's just a waste of money uh, making the product too much reliable. And in fact, what will happen is, for example, let's just say in the case of you know Nokia phones, people would use those phones for years and years and wouldn't buy another Nokia phone. So that's not good neither, right? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that might be a problem for the company. I mean, there's certain areas, like for example, if I go into a plane, I don't want the plane to be 99% reliable. I want it to be 100%. So <laughs> exactly. It's one of these cases where, yeah, they 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 add redundancy. So you know, there's or maybe there's there's two engines or four engines. There's a lot of things in there that have been built in, so it's it's highly reliable, right? This right. can happen, and then this can happen, and then it will still fly because there's still this fail-safe or this this extra redundancy or something. They really thought about a lot of these uh, these these topics, and um, when they do their theoretical calculations, they say, "Well, this might happen, but it's only one time out of a billion flights." Well. Okay, maybe we don't prioritize this one. <laughs> they still have a, a cut a cutoff, right? Still have a way to to rule out. Otherwise, you would keep adding reliability on and on and on to your products. You would you would never even ship the new version. You would always keep working on it because there's always a way somewhere somehow that it goes down. Yeah, this is one of these examples where you you want extra reliability. Or, yeah, totally agree. And, and same thing for um, medical mm-hmm. products, right? I mean, yes, you don't want yes. to be a ninety-five percent reliable. You you probably want ninety-nine point nine percent or a hundred percent if possible. Uh, I know it's 
impossible to to make 100%, but at least you want it to be as reliable as possible. You don't want someone to die uh, because your product mm. stopped working. And so right. certain products are deemed to be more reliable. It, it's very hard to come up with an example. I think your Mercedes-Benz uh, uh, was a good example of a product that doesn't need to be necessarily running for 500,000 miles. In fact, in 1986, I don't know how many, well, maybe in Germany, I guess. Yeah, in Germany, maybe they had amazing roads and autobahns that could, you know, you could drive it forever. But in most other parts of the world, they they don't have too many roads uh, Mm -hmm. those days. They didn't. Um, I mean, they had, but I don't think it was um, necessarily, people didn't drive their car uh, that much. Yes, exactly. So I think most people uh, drove maybe less than 10,000 miles uh, per year, right? So 500,000 miles, that means... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Totally overshooting the need. Over, overkill a little bit. Yeah, right, right, right. Now, my question was, you know, what kind of learnings can we get out of this data to improve products? Now, let me ask the the, the reverse. What kind of learning can we get out of this data to cut production costs, right? (laughs) Because it's also, you know, we don't want to necessarily over-engineer the products and make them excessively reliable. As you mentioned, if uh, the product goes onto the market and it's twice the price that it should be, well, uh, maybe a a lot of users would prefer to get a cheaper one that is less reliable. Definitely, once you have uh, all this data and you review those, then you realize that, okay, there are parts in here that don't need to be necessarily that reliable, for example. And maybe you can, instead of uh, using custom parts that are very expensive, maybe you can use standard parts that are cheaper and just as much reliability. That's one option. Uh, and one lessons learned, you can get information from the data. And of course, you can also find out that there are too many parts being used in order to make the product oh, yeah. more reliable. Maybe you don't need that many parts. Maybe you just need one or two good reliable parts and that's good. So you can cut the, and the number of parts that are being used. So that's two. And then, of course, you can look at your suppliers and quality of those parts. If you see uh, you're using multiple suppliers and... When you use multiple suppliers, you're buying less parts from them, right? The volumes are low. Mm. And when the volumes are low, you're paying heavy price for those. Mm. <laughs> and so all you got to do is cut down your suppliers and go with one or two suppliers. And then now you're giving them big volumes and they're giving you better price. So that's number three. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you could uh, look at some parts uh, in your design. And you find out that, you know, that those, those parts are going, you know, the design itself is obsolete, you know, because of times have changed the technology, you really don't need to design it that way anymore. So you need to go with a better mm. design, uh, more DFR design for reliability, DFX design for excellence. And when you go that way, you find out that, you know, maybe you don't need, you, you can just eliminate some parts completely. And so you actually come up with a better design, fewer parts, more quality, more reliability built into your design, and you and you cut you cut a lot of costs. Mm, yeah, right. 
Let's look at an interesting example that came out here and there. Uh, is about uh, Ford, Henry the Ford, the the grandfather, right? The one who came out right. with the Model T and so on. And he, that's what I see in um, even in the Wikipedia entry. But there's various articles with you know different people with different takes on this story. Uh, but basically, the story goes like this: Henry Ford asked some people to go and look at scrapyards. Uh, various scrapyards in 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 the U.S. and uh, basically inspect the the old Model T cars and tell him, okay, what you know, what failed? Basically, some of them, oh, the axle failed. This one, the the brakes or the the pistons failed, etc. And uh, and to count basically the different instances, right? Right. Uh, and 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 then also what parts never fade. And right. then they say that, for example, the, the kingpin or the, the king bolt, which is that part that um, I think is a very important part that links the, the, the front axle, I think, to the body or something like that. I mean, it's... Yeah, right, right. They connect. If it, yeah. Yeah. If it breaks, I mean, your, your car... Uh, Out of you control. You can't keep riding your car. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Uh, right. It's actually quite quite unsafe if it breaks. But anyway, uh, and they said, well, the kingpins, you know, they look good. Uh, they, they, they could still have been uh, working, you know, in the cars for years and years. Seems like they never broke. And then the the conclusion from Ford was that, oh, okay, so we over-engineered them. <laughs> They're too good. Let's make them to inferior specification, which is kind of logical. Right? It make, makes sense. Cost. But the aim was to cut costs, right? Yes. That's a way to cut costs. Yes. Uh, Because he was relentlessly trying to find ways to, you know, to produce for the mass market to get the the price down and so on and so forth. What do you think about this story? I I think it's really interesting uh, because... Uh, there's there's two ways to think about this, right? Uh, you know, Ford was in the right direction because he's trying to cut costs. Uh, he's making millions of you know automobiles, and imagine you you just cut one dollar each. You know, you could be saving millions of dollars, right? So I think in theory, thinking that way for every part that you can cut cost is the right way to go. On the other hand, this particular part was kingpin, very critical part. If it breaks, mm. then then you'll spend more on the legal, uh, you know, instance of these issues, trying to, or or you'll be spending more on fixing the problem if if this thing failed. So why would you actually make something that is reliable already? a little bit, you know, cutting corners on that because you try to retool that part and try to make it thinner, let's say, and and maybe cut cost on that. Just the act of trying to cut cost would cost more than the part itself at the end. Uh, You know, you have to retool it, you have to retest it, uh, and then you have to, you know, Add new part number, and then you have to retrain your your team to use this part instead of the old part. All of this will cost co- cost more 
then just leave it alone and use it as is and then try to cut costs on other parts. So that's another argument, you know, uh, you know, online. I saw all kinds of articles and all kinds of engineering teams. Um, you know, some were pro on one side, but most people thought it wouldn't make sense to cut corners on this kind of a critical part. Mm. Right, right. So <laughs> it reminds me of something we discussed before is there were the, the feature phones with their, their small screens and they were pretty reliable, but then people started to prefer the smartphones which yes. actually which actually broke much more easily, right? So right. sometimes people do prefer another form factor or because they want some other functions, they uh, they will go for something less reliable, right? I mean, we can't, uh, we can't ignore that. <laughs> that is so true. Yeah, I mean, the old days, you know, let, let's just say it, you know, Nokia phones were smaller phones. They were not touch, touch screen. But I was on an Apple came out with touch screen phones and everybody loved it, even though you drop it from a quarter of a meter, half a meter. And even today, you know, some of those Apple phones, are they will break very quickly. But people love uh, to use it, and and uh, they they are willing to uh, spend extra t- money, and, you know, to put it in the case uh, and protect it, but have the functionality that they want. But yeah, I, I agree with you. People uh, do strange things sometimes uh, to get what they want. Yeah, right. Well, that's why it's always a trade-off. <laughs> I guess that's the conclusion here. Probably you would not try to to save a couple of bucks on, on the airbags <laughs> if you were selling cars, right? Oh, um, yes. And we looked at the, that uh, Takata airbag recall. The Japanese supplier. Yes, the Japanese supplier. There was a big problem. I think the Toyota cars had this problem at one point. But then it turned out that a lot of different car companies, not just Toyota, buy the airbags from the same company, Takata in Japan. And I see by at the end of 2022, a total of 67 million airbags have been recalled <laughs> and 11 million still yet to be replaced. And so, a lot of people died and a lot of people got... Some people died, correct. Yes. Because when it um, inflated, it broke the housing in a way that actually projected some pieces of metal into people's yes. faces. Right. So, Anyway, uh, not fun stuff, right? <laughs> so that's an example where it's better to, to pay a bit more to, to keep this risk of catastrophic failure very, very low, right? But then in some other cases, the failures would not be catastrophic. And in, in, the, in that case, like, yeah, okay, I broke my phone. Well, what am I going to do? Okay, I can... I can keep using it with if it's a bit broken, or I can I can pay to replace, or I can accelerate the replacement of the phone. Right. right? I can keep this phone maybe as a backup in case the new one has some problems or gets lost. Okay, it's, it's not a catastrophic failure. So in that case, sometimes you need to question your reliability objectives and say maybe maybe we don't need you know 
it, maybe the, the the product has some other ways of appealing to to the customers, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're you're absolutely right. I think in the case of the Takata airbags, there were a, a bunch of mistakes were made. Takata was mm. a great Japanese, very reliable product uh, mm. manufacturer. They had a good history of making great airbags. Unfortunately, just like any other company, here and there, once in a while, you get a supplier that just doesn't do a good job, meaning that Takata had their own suppliers for those parts. Mm. And one of those suppliers just missed making the quality parts and then affected the customer and the customer being Takata. And that impacted everything. And then all the other automakers who had only one supplier for that company, for that part, meaning the airbag. And having one supplier has its own risks because mm-hmm. when, when that happens, uh, you know, all these companies, all these automakers all over the world had to do recall. And I agree yeah. with you on, in the case mm-hmm. of mobile phone. You know, I think that mobile phones have come in a long way. Uh, I do recall way, way back when there was no a good internet system and no cloud uh, where you could save mm. <laughs> your your data. Mm. Once your phone broke, oh my God, all your data and all, everything was gone. Yeah. Uh, there was no backup That's system. That's a good point. Right. Yeah. Then that was catastrophic at that point. But now you buy a new one, yes. a new, even new Android, you just enter, okay, this is my Gmail account, or my Google account, poof, and then it will sync everything back in. Sync back in everything. So it's more... Uh, yeah, so so situations have changed, and 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 it ha- actually has Im- improved the reliability in some ways. Mm. Yeah, overall correct because the it's it's less about the device itself, the hardware. It's about the, yeah. the whole product, which includes uh, the cloud backup and so on. Yeah, absolutely. But mm. all in, all in all, it makes sense what you said. You know, uh, some products we need to spend more money. To make it more reliable because it's necessary because it saves lives. Uh, it, it helps uh, product to be realistically reliable. But in some cases, there's no need to make it too reliable because it just wastes money, uh, and cost in terms of unnecessarily being reliable. Right. Right. And all of that, you need some data to make the right calls also. All yes. right. Well. That was an interesting episode. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Andrew, uh, Thank you. for helping me uh, cover it. And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back as usual next week. And if you have a chance, please leave us a five-star review and a comment. We like to see those. Maybe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you, you're listening to podcasts. Talk to you next time. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophies Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com. That's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share because it will really help others discover us too.